Welcome to the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast, a podcast to help you recognize when your brain is treating others as enemies to be defeated instead of as people to be loved. With neuropsychologist Jim Wilder and Brigadier General Ray Woolridge, we'll discover the ways that Enemy Mode sabotages our best intentions and we'll find pathways together to refriend the people around us. Let's get to work. Now, before we begin the podcast and hear from Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge, I, I want to give a brief overview of what this podcast is all about. Now, when, when I read Jim and Ray's new book, Escaping Enemy Mode, it was, it was like standing in a dark room and then having the lights turned on. Their research into enemy mode helped explain not just the world around me, but the world inside me, too. What I saw, and, and I think you'll begin to see, too, is that enemy mode is lurking in the background of our most damaging thoughts and actions. You'll start to see it everywhere. Now, Dr. Jim Wilder is a neuropsychologist and theologian, and his life has been spent studying the connections between brain science, our relationships, and how that affects our communities. As he studied the brain, he found that a certain state of the brain correlated with outward characteristics. A person in this brain state wants their enemy to lose, and they can't discern when others are trying to help. They, they feel justified in hatred, and they often see others' motives as bad. They turn people into objects. They feel that no one is on their side. And they'll often perceive allies, people who are trying to help them, as enemies. Now, for me, I saw this happen uh, during a car accident a few years ago. One driver's car was damaged, and they got out of their car, and they were getting pretty heated. So I tried to step in and help and calm things down, but then I became the target of the verbal barrage. I tried to be an ally, but I was perceived as the enemy. That was enemy mode. So Jim calls this brain state enemy mode and has spent the past several years trying to understand how enemy mode starts in a person and also how to escape from it. He discovered that enemy mode isn't always dramatic and loud. Sometimes it's a, it's a fuming, passive aggression. Now, this is where the secrets of enemy mode really unlocked for me. It's not just the loud dramatics. For me, it was... It was often that simple place of just trying to get things done and being set on edge by disruptions, often in the form of my children. People trying to connect with me were seen as enemies of my productivity. And that, too, is enemy mode. So it's, it's a brain state that everyone actually deals with on a daily basis, but the healthy ones among us are able to reactivate their relational centers in their brain and seek connection with people. When the relational centers in the brain are on, people are valued as people. Joy, happiness, and being together becomes a motivator instead of fear. We like being together instead of being afraid we're going to make someone upset. And this is where Ray Woolridge enters the story. 
He's a retired Army Brigadier General, and he's the new Executive Director of Life Model Works, Jim's organization that exists to bring brain science and spiritual insights so people can become their best selves. Now, Ray had a successful track record as a leader, but with Jim's new research was discovering that enemy mode characterized his leadership. He focused on doing more instead of being better. People had become transactions. Now, I, I saw this in myself, too, as I was reading Ray's story, and it reminded me of when I worked in a coffee shop for a year. And after a few months, I no longer was focused on just making the best cup of coffee possible. I was starting to see people as dollar signs. How much could I sell to them? Could I upcharge this? Could I sell this as well? And it changed me. It changed my approach to my work. Instead of bringing a bit of joy to people with caffeine in their day, I started seeing them as objects, as transactions. And that is a hallmark of enemy mode. Ray saw the effect of enemy mode in his own leadership. Operating in enemy mode left him feeling lonely and lacking deep relationships. And he couldn't imagine a pathway that would both deepen relationships while leading people. And so Ray joined forces at the gym to see if they could together escape enemy mode. And that's what this podcast is all about. So welcome to this first episode of the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast, and I'm here with Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge, and we're going to be talking about enemy mode and how it affects us in our daily lives. So first, I would like to introduce you to Jim and to Ray. And so Jim, maybe could you give us a quick summary of who you are and how you were introduced to enemy mode in the brain? Well, yes, I'm a neuropsychologist. And uh, just observing how people react when they feel people aren't on their side. And, and all of a sudden they can't see even when people are trying to help them has been something that I've observed uh, both in cultural conflicts and grocery stores and counseling. Um, so I'm just very, very interested in figuring out how do we get out of that stuck mode where we're not listening to other people. And Ray, can you give us an introduction to yourself? So I currently serve as executive director of Life Model Works, and our mission is to bring brain science into spiritual insights about how people can be transformed. But I began looking at my life five years ago after I retired from the Army, and I realized I had some gaps in my maturity. And I also realized that I had a tendency to drop into enemy mode, especially with people I live with every day. Looking back, as we wrote our book, looking back, I see as, uh, why that is from early in life, but also all of my training uh, for ministry, but also in the military kind of predisposed me to use enemy mode as a tool. And I felt mm -hmm. like I could uh, get a lot of work done in enemy mode. But then I what I didn't calculate was the damage it was doing to me and to the people around me. Now, Ray, in the book, I you told the story of a homeowners association that I would, I would love for you to be able to share with our listeners today, because I feel like it so captures the different facets of enemy mode in real life. 
I would say about four or five years ago, I began noticing it in my own life. And I wondered why some people were so relational and others were not. Mm-hmm. And then as I, I began digging in with Jim to write this book, and we've been working on it really for the last two years, all of a sudden I saw it everywhere. Yeah. And as we did our research, uh, you know, we saw it in politics, we saw it in the military, we saw it on school boards and in classrooms and on the street with police. And and uh, we found an iconic uh, story, a true story from an HOA, a homeowners association that really sh- tells how, and everybody has their own opinion about homeowners associations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you could say they're like a necessary evil in some neighborhoods in America. Well, uh-huh. uh, we, heard, we heard this iconic story about two couples who lived next door to one another who could not get along, who would not get along. Mm. And, and as we think about this story with these two couples, uh, I, I think it illustrates what happens. And so it turns out that uh, Joe and Sheila moved into a neighborhood across the street from Bob and Natalie. Bob and Natalie had been in the neighborhood for a long time. They were very involved in the homeowners association. In fact, uh, Natalie was on the board of the homeowners association. Most of the neighbors liked Bob and Natalie, but Bob and Natalie were not particularly relational people. They were always Mm -hmm. talking to their neighbors, not about relational things. They were talking to their neighbors about, is your, has your grass been cut? And when do you put your garbage out? Everything to Bob and Natalie was about the rules in the neighborhood. Now, mm-hmm. Joe and Sheila move in to their dream home. They're close to their children and their grandchildren, and they're excited. But Joe and Sheila began to resent how Bob and Natalie were seeking to enforce the rules of the Homeowners Association, the covenants. Mm-hmm. So on a particular day, and here we have Bob and Natalie and Joe and Sheila not being very relational with one another anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then on a particular Saturday morning, Joe and Sheila get up early in the morning and they're playing their music really loud and working in their garage and working on their yard. This enrages Bob. Now, Bob has little children, but Mm. he's afraid the loud music early on a Saturday morning is going to wake his sleeping children up. And so he comes across the street and accosts Sheila and says, it's a little early for loud music, isn't it? And Sheila's response Mm. to him was, I can play my music however I want to. So they were already being non-relational with one another and focusing on the rules. And then this escalates into a very loud shouting match between Bob and Sheila. Towards the end of it, when both of them were kind of losing it, Bob shouts to Sheila, you better get your idiot husband out here to protect you. That's when Sheila feels unsafe and calls 911. Mm. Her husband, Joe, comes out. It doesn't it doesn't get peaceful real fast there. You know, it's very uncomfortable. So later that day and in the next few days, both of those couples began maneuvering against one another. Bob and Natalie began working the street to convince everybody that Joe and Sheila were dangerous. After all, Joe was retired military. He might have post-traumatic stress disorder or something. Meanwhile, Joe and Sheila researched city ordinances about the appropriate decibel levels for music on your property. And so a a campaign of maneuvering against one another begins, hoping somebody would move. Meanwhile, the rest of the neighborhood hopes somebody would move. And why can't they just get along? Yeah. It's so interesting because I see so many connections to your book here. Um, Early on, it seems like there is just this friction between Bob and Natalie and Joe and Sheila. There's this 
maybe like a low energy trying to ignore the things that bother you about the other person and trying to just kind of keep things calm without actually addressing the issue. And then that music playing seemed to inject a lot of energy into the situation and people started acting really stupidly. And then as it continues to escalate, they're trying to use the things they learn about each other against them. So trying to taking Joe's story of being in the military and using that as leverage to try and turn people against him. And now Jim, as we, as we're listening to this story, how does it connect back to enemy mode? Like maybe when we're talking about the, those early parts of the situation where there's kind of like a low energy friction, what is that as it relates to enemy mode? Yeah, that's what we would call the simple enemy mode. It just means your mind simply predicts that person isn't going to be on my side. I don't want to connect with them. And so you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, avoid any kind of uh, interaction that would be uh, personal. You know, you're just uh, turning that person off. They're a thing. They're at best an annoyance. Uh, but you're not mm-hmm. about to uh, to get close to them or you know to see them as as somebody of value. That's uh, uh, just a simple kind of cold. Yeah, you're a thing or or a bother. As we continue in the HOA story, the the simple enemy mode gives way to something very different when Bob confronts Sheila about the loud music. It turns into a screaming match and even threatens violence. So if the first part of enemy mode was there isn't enough energy here to connect with you as a human being, now we've just spiked the energy yeah. out the roof. Now it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're frothing at the mouth, so to speak. The, the energy, if we could get a blood sample, you know, you've got adrenaline running around. Uh, the circuits are overloading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm no longer trying to think of, uh, you know, what is the best outcome here? I am just going to shut you mm-hmm. down, make something stop here. And that, that's when we uh, do and say things we wish we could walk back later. You know, we just like, oh, that was stupid. Right. Um, and so it's, again, uh, we're so energized, but we're still not connected with the other person as though they were a uh, a person of value. We're still like, you know, we're just going to blow you or blow you apart here and make this stop this story starts to take an even more intense turn is when both couples are starting to scheme against the other person and they're using information and emotion to try and get people onto their side. And I mean, in a lot of ways, it sounds like destroy the other couple. How does that relate to enemy mode? Well, we, I think we all know this intuitively, but the brain has two kinds of anger systems in it. One is that hot anger that happens when we get stupid. Uh, you put it in with crimes of passion and stuff like that. But the other is a cold mm-hmm. kind of anger. It's calculated. It's it's the kind of stuff you use for hunting, uh, for hating, for mm-hmm. tracking down somebody. Now you're paying close attention to what it is. Uh, that they do and feel, but in order to use it against them for a, for a win, so that uh, uh, you can eliminate them from from contention more or less, and that kind of cold, calculating kind of anger, it, it even runs through a different part of the nervous system, uh, is very intelligent about mm-hmm. that win, and we often see this in politics. 
divorces um, and uh, acrimonious business deals, um, you know, where we're, again, we're not really figuring out the, the least harmful solution in terms of relationship. We're just now uh, navigating for whatever it takes to win. And, and, and the funny thing about uh, this intelligent enemy mode is you lose is what the brain is really looking for. So there's this hmm. expression here, you cut off the nose to spite your face. Uh, you know, you see it in yeah. politics. If I can make the other side lose, that's a win for me. Actually, everybody might right. lose, you know. Uh, but that's what this mm -hmm. part, this kind of intelligent enemy mode is doing, figuring out how to make the other person lose. And when it's somebody we care about uh, or should care about, like in the case of a marriage gone sour, uh, friendship that's blowed up over uh, political candidates or vaccines or something uh, making the other person mm -hmm. lose actually is a loss for us as well so it's uh, a um, you know the most i suppose painful kind of enemy mode i hope that as we're listening to this we can start to see some of those enemy modes at play in our own life and in the world around us but there's a part of enemy mode that we can't see, and that's the part that's going on inside of our brain. And I would love to just hear a, a quick summary from you, Jim, of when you're talking about the brain science of this, how how do you describe the different levels of the brain and how the brain processes relationships and information? Um because I know from reading the book, there's so much research. This isn't just a kind of social science type of explanation of how humans interact. There's a real brain science element of it. So how, how do you describe from a brain science perspective what's going on in enemy mode? Yeah, that's uh, it is a processing path that runs through your brain. It starts in the bottom and in the back. Uh, that's where all the raw information mm -hmm. comes in and, you know, your sensory information and stuff like that. Uh, and way up at the front of your brain, which is at the top of the processing pathways, is the part that we would consider our best self. That's the part of us that um, thinks about who we are and how do we act like ourselves and what do we really value and what's important to us in life. And if the if the passage of the information from the back to the front gets all the way there, then each time we act, we act from our best understanding of who we are and what we value and the outcomes we want. It's, it's the things that we really desire in life that, that kind of guide the path of our actions. If the brain doesn't mm -hmm. get all the way there, so it's just got the sensory stuff coming in the back, but it never gets to our best self, uh, then we get these enemy mode interactions that show up. So the first thing after it mm. comes in, it's supposed to say, is this personal to me? And if the signal says, oh, yeah, this is personal to me, uh, the next part is how much energy is it going to take? Is this going to be turn out to be good or bad or scary? Uh, and once once the brain predicts this is a bad outcome, it then loads in all our memories yeah. about bad out previous bad outcomes and starts working like, okay, this one, this person's going to be against me. I just know it. And uh, I, I've got to figure mm -hmm. out a way to either uh, ignore them, which would be simple enemy mode, 
or I'm going to just blow them out of the water, which would be stupid enemy mode. That's about halfway up to the front. Uh, or I'm going to just mm -hmm. have to calculate my way and I'm going to make them lose. It'll just take a while. And that's intelligent enemy mode. And, and any of those three, the brain processing hasn't gotten all the way up to the front that goes like, but who am I really, you know, what, what, what do I really value? Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, if you think of this in terms of police officer, you know, if you get to, uh, uh, the simple enemy mode, it just doesn't connect with another person and just writes up a ticket and does business or whatever you're going to do. If you get to stupid, mm -hmm. then you, um, you know, you escalate things, you know, like, um, I believe, you know, the blues brothers, extreme, uh, violence, I think is authorized in the apprehension of the blues brothers, something like that. <laughs> you know, you, now you've gotten uh -huh. stupid, uh, or you get to the calculated, yeah. I'm just going to take you out one way or another. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, in the TV shows, it's like, give me an excuse to pull the trigger here kind of a thing. But it really doesn't get mm -hmm. up to what kind of a person do I want to be? What kind of police officers do you want? What's the least harmful alternative? And the best self is the one that figures out what is the least harmful alternative to this? Sure, I could make the other party lose and we would uh, win this vote. Mm -hmm. But is that the least harmful alternative for us in our nation? Is this where we want to end up? Uh, those are the kinds of things we wish people in power or ourselves when we're relating to people we care about, well, we wish they were thinking about that. And so then Ray and I were talking mm -hmm. about this, and the question is, even in the military, do we want people thinking about the, the least harmful solution? How does, this, how does this fit into history and right. life and all these other things? Uh, you know, so it all comes together uh, to represent the, the best of who we are as human beings instead of how do we make other people lose? And that's a really interesting connection. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit, Ray. Um, so you are re a retired brigadier general from the army. And it seems like the army would be a place where enemy mode is a natural occurrence. and would be something that is a useful tool for winning a battle. But it sounds like maybe enemy mode even in the army could cause more problems because you're not searching for the least harmful alternative. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back on my military training, I realized that something was happening in my brain, even when we did simple things like learning to obey orders in basic training or, or mm -hmm. that. And, uh, and I was learning to ignore signals from my body, like fear signals. Mm. I was also learning to um, try to get a lot of stuff done in a hurry under pressure. And yeah. com coming into the military like I did, I was not a particularly relational person anyway. And mm -hmm. so uh, because I had learned to stop looking for relational signals, and that's a whole nother, whole nother discussion at a much deeper level. So, mm -hmm. so you take a guy like me into the military, very task-oriented, mission-oriented environment with a lot of pressure, and you're ignoring fear signals in your body from the early days in the military. All of a sudden, uh, anything in your way is a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you are in simple, simple enemy mode by default. Now, right. the, the counterbalance to that is, even in the military, the best leaders can always balance staying relational and getting things done. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I talked to a retired four-star general, and he taught he thought about his career, General Bob Brown, and he talked about the best leaders could stay relational and move their organizations and their people in a positive direction, and they could mm-hmm. stay relational. And so that was a very fascinating discussion. Now, then if you look at on the battlefield, in combat, if we have soldiers that are only in simple enemy mode, Mm-hmm. And then they are doing things in stupid enemy mode or intelligent enemy mode. That is going to guarantee max damage and it's going to do harm to the enemy, but it's also going to do harm to those soldiers because mm-hmm. after they come home, after they're now veterans, they're now retired, they're going to be dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress. They're also going to be dealing with moral injury because what did I do in the moment? And they're mm-hmm. going to feel a lot of guilt about that as they reflect on it for the rest of their lives. And I feel like I'm starting to be, to feel like I'm in the same place as this book started of wanting to answer the question, Ray, is it possible for you to unlearn enemy mode and to stay relational? And Jim, thinking of the brain science of these things, is there any way that brain science can teach us to stay relational, to to kind of move past enemy mode to be the best version of ourselves? And that is I hope what the journey of this podcast is going to be too, that as we are diving into the stories of what enemy mode is, how we can learn more about it through the advances in science to scan the brain and understand what it is, can we become the best version of ourselves? Can we look at some of the dysfunction that plagues society and find solutions for it? Are there ways that we can contribute to a healthy community by staying relational, being the best version of ourselves, finding the least harmful alternative, and start to see health being spread across the relationships that we have instead of continuing to cause more problems as we are treating people as objects to be used, abused, discarded? I want to give our give our listeners and our readers some hope. Yeah. Um, I I would say absolutely yes, it is possible. Hmm. Uh, I'm 63 years old, and I'm having to learn new neural pathways to consistently stay out of enemy mode. Hmm. And it's a journey. And some days it feels like two steps forward and three steps back, because those well worn neural pathways from childhood are still yeah. at effect. But it is a journey, and I'm hopeful, and I'm seeing some signs of uh, change and, and encouraging change in my life, but also in how I'm, I'm, I'm working in this season. I'd also like to add, Jeremy, that the, the solution proved to be counterintuitive. So um, you were saying, you know, so can we learn ways to stay out of enemy mode? And, and actually the solution proved to be something you have to learn during enemy mode. Uh, so, uh, huh. it, you know, that was part of the amazing part of the discovery that the actual solutions, I mean, we all say we would like to, that's wonderful, doesn't help us do it. But uh, the, some of the actual solutions are not what we would have imagined going in. And so we'll love to lay out some of that for our listeners as well. One of the things we have to look forward to in this podcast is it's going to be more than just the three of us having this conversation. Um, we're going to be bringing in 
experts and leaders from multiple different industries to talk about how enemy mode affects them and their work. And Ray, can you tell us a little a little bit more about the guests we'll be having on the show? Well, I'm really excited to interview a retired Brigadier General who observed uh, what we're t- what we're seeing in the military in her career. Uh, I'm excited to talk to a police officer who um, realizes that enemy mode affects how he and his department police on the streets in the Atlanta area. We've got a retired congressman who has seen mm-hmm. it both in his military career before Congress, but then also in in some of the things he dealt with when he was on the Hill in four terms. We have a pastor who leads, leads in one of America's largest churches, talking about uh, how he's transformed his team from a fear-based enemy mode team to a joy-based team, a relational team. And uh, we, we have quite a few others. We have uh, ordinary people and leaders. It's going to be a fun journey learning from them. You've been listening to the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast. To learn more about the book by Dr. Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge, visit escapingenemymode.com.